Well, let's get right to it here this morning. Matthew in chapter number 18, if you'll stand in, God, in honor of God's word. We've been a couple of weeks off of our series, obviously with the uh, anniversary Sunday. We celebrated 71 years at Southwest Baptist Church and then had Friend Day last week. And we see some that maybe were here last week, back this week on, from Friend Day. That's a blessing. Thank God for that. Really, every Sunday ought to be Friend Day, right, as we invite friends and family to come. So, uh, but we sure had a good Friend Day. I'm still rejoicing in that. Uh, God's blessings on it. And so we've been in a series in the book of Matthew. This is sermon number 60. And so join me in uh, follow along here as we read Matthew chapter number 18. And we're going to begin in verse number 15. And we're going to read through the end of the chapter here. So Matthew chapter 18 and beginning in verse number 15, he says, moreover, so obviously there's a context to this that we'll get into after we um, get uh, through the Bible reading and seated and into the context of it. But it says, Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast what? Gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then put it on Facebook. And is that what it said? No, wait a minute. That's not right. All right. Hang on. Hang on. All right. Just check, make sure everybody's following along here, right? So that's good. All right. Verse 16 again. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. All right. Now watch this. Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. The level of effort has increased. The, by the way, the goal is always, in one word, this, restoration. Try to restore. Restore. Now, the context of this is church discipline, but the goal of, of church discipline even is restoration. Right. So, tell it unto the church. Notice this, but if he neglect to hear the church, let him be. Have it, no other recourse at this point. Jesus is communicating in the latter part of verse 17. Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and as a publican. Verse 18, verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, verse 19, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 20, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Two or three. Now the context of that is still church discipline. Okay. But he says, there am I in the midst of them, wherever two or three are gathered together, praying in my name. Well, that certainly speaks to us, by the way, in case I forget to preach it later, about his omnipresence. If he can gather with two or three here and gather with two or three there, and gather, we can't do that, but he can. He's right there in the midst of them, he said. That's what he said. There am I in the midst of them. Now, verse 21. Then came Peter to him. And said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? <laughs> Poor Andrew, <laughs> right? His brother. <laughs> well, it's broader than just his immediate brother. So in the context of church, so how many times do I have to do this? You see, he's already asking the wrong question, right? How oft do I have to do this? And he, then he thought he was doing pretty good until seven times. Um, verse 22, Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven, 490 times. Okay, I'm counting. Therefore, all right, let's keep reading here. Verse 23, therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, 
notice this, which owed him 10,000 talents. But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him, notice this please, and what? Forgave him the debt. 10,000 talents forgave him, all of it. Notice verse 28. But the servant, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. Well, the ingrate, I mean, he's just been forgiven 10,000 talents. It sounds like a lot. It is. And this guy owes him a hundred pence. I mean, it sounds, it's a hundred, sounds like a lot, but not near as much as he was forgiven. Took him by the throat. Verse 29, and his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him saying, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he, that was what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee, what does it say next? All that debt, because thou desirest me. Look at verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee, isn't that the mindset that you should have had? I had compassion on you. You should have had compassion on him. And his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him. Now here's Jesus' point. He doesn't always give the point of the parable. I sure am glad when he does though. Verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if you, please notice this, if ye rather, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone, everyone, does that include you? Everyone, his brother, their trespasses. All right, we got some work to do, right? We got some work to do right here. We got some work to do. So this morning, the title of the message is this, uh, going the extra mile to mend a, a relationship. Going the extra mile to mend a relationship. A relationship. I'm just saying one, but there probably more than one. But going the extra mile to mend a relationship. Listen to this real careful and you'll nearly catch the whole message, though we're going to take a little while to preach it. The forgiven should be forgiving. The forgiven should be forgiving. All right. Dear God, I'd like to pray just one more time because I know we all struggle with this. I'm making an assumption here, but obviously you knew your disciples then would struggle and you recorded it and have preserved it for us. And so I pray it'd be a help. I have no idea as to whom I'm preaching today and who might really just need this. So I don't want to get in the way of it. I just, I want to try to be a mouthpiece, a means by which you could speak. So help, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Appreciate you standing for the reading. <clears throat> It's been a couple of weeks uh, that we've been in this particular section of scripture, but here is Jesus is preparing to go off the scene. He's 
speaking to his disciples about things that would help them to continue on after he's gone. And, and the means by which that, that the work would continue would be through local churches, just like Southwest Baptist Church, just like we're assembled here today. And, uh, and certainly a lot of what we're going to cover today would apply to family life and friendships, you know, outside of church. But I mean, the context of this, as we see, is telling into the church. It's, it's a local church context. Now, I want, I, want to, I want to be mindful of this here this morning, that there'd be someone here, maybe that's not a member of this church, or and you're a member of a different church, or maybe you're not in church at all, and this is the first time maybe in a long time, or maybe for some, maybe first time ever to be here. We're sure glad to welcome you and I want you to hear the gospel. There's going to be a means by which we could kind of insert the gospel right here. The gospel, by the way, is the good news that, that Jesus died for you and he loves you. And, and I guess I'm inserting it right now, right? That we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but, but God has laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all, that we all might be saved, just like the choir sang a moment ago. And you're not saved by your good works. If you could be saved by your good works, then Jesus didn't have to come and die and do that good work for you. But, but the fact that he died in your place means there's only one way to be saved and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you could be forgiven. You could be forgiven. There it is. There's a the theme of this unit right here is forgiveness, forgiveness. But Jesus knew that internally, even within a church, that we're going to struggle at times with forgiveness. There's two sides to forgiveness. There is asking forgiveness. And a lot of us struggle on that side of it, just simply admitting that we're wrong. Don't even want to say it, right? Don't want to ask for forgiveness and say, would you forgive me? I, I should not have said that to you. I should not have said it that way. I, I shouldn't have stormed off. I shouldn't have treated Jews with silent treatment. I, I should not have slammed the door. I should not have done that. I should not have done this. We struggle with asking forgiveness. But on the other side of that, Jesus also knew that we would struggle in giving forgiveness, granting Forgiveness. Internal relationships either make or mar churches. Internal relationships either make them strong, make them great, or they, if not handled right, will mar a church. Could result in a church split, could result in hurt feelings, could result in guests coming in and saying, man, there's like a tension in the air. Well, I'm glad to tell you that, that, that to my knowledge, there's not some big stir going on at Southwest Baptist Church where this family's against this family and this side's against this side and the balcony's against the main, the main floor. No, we don't, to my knowledge, we don't have any of that. We, we don't have two pianists that are fighting. In fact, I think Brother Kevin and Miss Alberta are getting along as far as I know and and they get along with the organist, and they get along with Brother Aaron, and Brother Ted, I think is okay. And so we're, we're doing good as far as I know. And so, it, all right. So anyways, uh, you know, it's not like some big stir, some big problem that's going on. But along the way, I think it's inevitable, but there's going to be conflicts. You know why? Because there's sinners up, there's sinners in here. They're sinners. And as long as we have a church that has sinners in it, we're, we're going to have to either ask forgiveness or give forgiveness. By the way, every marriage is a marriage of two sinners. He didn't think he was, but he sure is. Now you know. Now you know. Now you know he is. Now you know she is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's who we are. I mean, it, we are by our very first nature. If, now, if you've been born again, you got a new nature. But, but we still struggle, don't we? And we struggle with, with asking forgiveness. We struggle with giving forgiveness. And thus, as a result of that, we struggle with bitterness and resentment. Um, I just came back across a passage of scripture, Ezekiel 18, and, and they were blaming their fathers for the sins that were going on. You know, it'd be real easy to say, you know, well, I am the way I am today because of blame somebody else. I mean, it, it's just easier that way. I, I wouldn't be this way if I had a different mom and dad. I wouldn't be this way. I mean, you know, you can kind of deal with bitterness. And I remember Brother Sam preaching on that and and uh, Trenton was with me. He was age three. I mean, this goes way back now. He's, he's uh, 14. And, and so anyways, I, I remember though in the invitation, I happened to just be kind of holding him, you know, just picked him up. And, and Brother Sam was asking and having preached about bitterness and, and a lack of forgiveness and resentment. He said, now, who here is, is struggling with resentment and a lack of forgiveness? And at age three, he raised his hand. <laughs> You're struggling. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> now, 
at that point, obviously he hadn't dealt with any major, I mean, he does have brothers that maybe he was struggling with something right there, but I think he just didn't understand the question. But, you know, as we go along, you live life long enough, there's going to be somebody that'll wrong you, somebody that'll disappoint you. And you're not three anymore. And it's not about toys in the nursery, but it's about houses and lands and cars and in-laws and and, and, and uh, relationships and hurt feelings. And, and so today, if I ask that same question, might be some adult hands that go up. Yeah, I, I've got somebody I'm having a hard time forgiving. I knew it would happen. As soon as I mentioned that, the auditorium would get pretty quiet. Jesus knew that we would struggle with this. He knew that we would struggle on both sides of it. He, he knew that we would be tempted not to deal with problems. I mean, some of you, there, there's two spectrums here. And in, in fact, we might say there's two ditches or two spectrums. There's one spectrum would be those that maybe don't want to deal with anything because you don't like conflict. And, and so you may just harbor something and, and, and it's unspoken, but it's hidden resentment that, is, that it grows over time. But others would be on the other end of the spectrum. And, and so it, there's nothing hidden about your angst and, and um, discontentment. There's nothing hidden about it. I mean, everybody knows. I mean, everybody knows that you're not happy with this person and that person. So there can be that spectrum. By the way, both are harmful to healthy relationships. So what Jesus is providing, if you allow us to build, back, build up to it, what he's providing is the right way to deal with interpersonal conflict, namely within a church. But again, I, I, secondarily, certainly we can say this, that it also applies outside of a church into our families and so forth and, and within friendships. I mean, you think about it, our very life as a Christian began with forgiveness. I mean, when you became a believer, when you, when you became a Christian, if you are, um, then you heard that you were a sinner. You had to acknowledge that. You heard that Jesus died for your sins and he paid the ultimate price. And then you called on him to be your savior. But in the process of doing that, you were acknowledging, God, I'm a sinner and I heard the good news that Jesus died for me. Would you forgive me of my sin? If you're saved today, then your very Christian life began with forgiveness. You would think thereby that then we would be professional forgivers. I mean, if our very life began, our Christian life began with for being forgiven, then we would know how to forgive anybody and everybody, we're the most forgiving people on the face of the earth. And, you know, if rightly applied, that would be true. But evidently, we struggle with it just like we did even before salvation. You say, well, what, where, where's the difference? Well, we'll get to that. We'll see that Christ does make the difference, but we must hear what he says and apply it. Warren Wiersbe said this, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. I'm pausing purposefully. It's not that I don't remember what to say next. But I want you to think about that. An unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. You realize there's a lot of people out of church today because they have an unforgiving spirit. Somebody wronged them, someone hurt them, and they don't want anything else to do with church or God or anything else. And, and it's almost like it's God's fault. I don't think anybody would say that, but practically speaking, that's sometimes where we can get, you can get in a really bad spot. What, what's happened there? Well, we, we better, every one of us take heed to this because I, I tell you, a lot of marriages split, a lot of churches split, a lot of fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, mothers, sons, fathers, daughters, et cetera, et cetera. Relationships fall apart. Why? Because enemy understands this, that an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. I mean, you, you think about our opponent, the enemy, not ours, but God's ultimately, of course, is in the devil, the adversary. His basic tactic is to divide, to split, to, to first of all, drive a wedge between you and God. 
And if he can drive a wedge between you and God, he can drive a wedge between you and your spouse. And he can drive a wedge between you and your parents, a, a wedge between you and your, ki- your grandkids, you and your, your uh, cousins and your uncles and your, even your church members. C.S. Lewis said, we all agree that forgiveness is a beautiful thing until we have to practice it. Well, that's true, isn't it? Chuck Swindoll said that there is no torment like the inner torment of bitterness. Some of you have been bitter. Some of you might be bitter. I mean, in this very auditorium here this morning, there may be spouses that haven't talked in two or three days. You're living under the same roof, but you're not talking. There could be church members here that haven't talked to each other in a long time. I believe that God through his word is confronting you today in a way that no doubt will be real to you, that, 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 that traces back to who Jesus is and really, by the way, traces back to what he deserves, that we would be forgiving one of another. But right now you might be saying, wait a minute, I want to put the brakes on right here because you don't know what they've said and you don't know what they've done. Would you keep an open heart here just a little bit? Would you really consider... You say, I, I don't know, preacher. I, don't, I think there's, there's a possibility that somebody could do something that I could never be forgiven. Let's see what Jesus says. Because it doesn't really matter what I say. But it matters eternally, of course, what Jesus says. I'm going to go ahead and just finish this quote here, though. It says, talk about inner, uh, no torment like the inner torment of bitterness, which is a byproduct of an unforgiving spirit. It refuses to be soothed. It refuses to be healed. It refuses to forget. There's no prison more damaging than the bars of bitterness which will not let the battle end. Somebody said that lacking forgiveness or bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. Is there anyone... That you struggle to forgive. Now I realize, I mean, I, I'm, I'm right on some very tender stuff right here. I, I'm dealing with some fine china here this morning, so to speak. And, and it's some heart, very delicate heart matters. And I want to deal with it very carefully. But uh, basically, I want you to see the text here is saying, listen, you got to go the extra mile here. Our theme for the Sunday school campaign was who will go the extra mile. And, and we just, I mean, we just covered it. Uh, about four, three weeks ago now when Jesus says, woe to the world because of offenses. And he said, if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, cut it out. And what he was saying is this, as one of my followers, you got to be careful how you live so that you don't offend someone. So that you don't sin sin against someone. That would be the best place to deal with this, by the way would be on the first half of Matthew chapter 18, is to make sure that the words that you say and the deeds that you do, that they're not offensive to somebody that's in your church family. It'd be the best way to deal with it. Leave off contention before it be meddled with. I mean, I read that in Proverbs here this week because if you start meddling with it, you won't know how to handle it. Okay, now that's a total paraphrase right there, but I think you get the idea. You don't want to mess with it. Don't, don't get into it. Don't go there, we might say. Don't go there. Don't, don't say that. Don't you wish you could take some of those words back? So, going the extra mile, that mentality is certainly the context here. <clears throat> I mean, they were dealing with it up front and saying, Jesus, who's the greatest disciple? Right there. Strife, ambition, jealousy. All in the mix for a real good conflict. And Jesus says... Um, let me call this child here. He brought a little child in the midst. He had a little child. Uh, if you remember that, we had Josiah Athey come up and uh, Josiah's uh, 10 years old, I believe. And he was standing among men. And Jesus said, uh, who here is the greatest? Well, they had in their mind, children aren't very important. Jesus says, no, wait a minute. They're extremely important. And they had the mentality, well, the person that is the greatest is the person that gets served the most. Jesus said, no, I'm turning that on its head. It's the person that will serve others. But, but what you see is the heart of this reason I'm even rehashing some of this is the reason that we have conflict and strife and hurt feelings is because we get selfish and prideful. And we tend to hold on to things that we ought to let go. Jesus said, 
How think ye? How, how do you think about this? If a man have a hundred sheep, does he not leave the, the ninety and one go astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go after that one that goes astray? Well, the answer is obvious. Uh, yes, he does. He leaves the ninety-nine in good care and he goes after the one. How think ye? How important is one? He goes from that right into this context. Now, if any man sin against you or trespass against you, then get it right. No, wait a minute. I, I, I got to make sure that everybody stayed on that bus. Okay, that you didn't change buses and that you went to like, okay, who's playing today or what you're eating today? No, no, wait a minute. He just said, he just said, now if you have a hundred sheep and one sheep goes astray, don't you leave the 99 and go after the one that's gone astray to bring them back to watch this. Now, this is all in the context of church discipline here as he's dealing with it. He said, if you've got one that goes astray, if there's one that gets off in sin, don't you leave these that are not and go after the one to bring them back to restore them? Okay, what about this? If you have 100 relationships in church, which here is highly possible that you would. If you have 100 relationships, but you've got one relationship that is not right. Which one do you think the most of? Is everybody awake? Which one do you think the most about? If you've got 100 relationships here, but you've got that one relationship. Okay, in fact, in many ways, if we could see the white erase board. Everybody see it? Come on, use your imagination. That white erase board there. And I take that black marker and I put a dot right here in the middle. What do you see? That one black dot. You say, well, yeah, I do. But look at all the white around here. It doesn't matter. You're seeing the one black dot. Dot. What I'm saying is saying to you here based on this and kind of tying these together before we move on is that everything may be going well with all kinds of people, but there might be one person here that you're just not getting along. Well, what should you do? If we apply what Jesus said, leave the 99 other relationships and go and try to restore that one. You, you've got a hundred grandkids. Well, maybe not literally. You got a hundred kids. You got a, you got a hundred cousins. You got a hundred, hundred brothers and sisters. I mean, right here in the church context, you got a hundred brothers and sisters. The, the 99 relationships will be okay. Go after that one. I, I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let up right here. I'm going to challenge every one of us. Uh, if there's one here, one family, one person, and I realize, I mean, come on, look, we're all different personalities. We're all different. I mean, we, we got all kinds of differences. We got all kinds of potential right here for a lot of good conflict, bad conflict, good, bad conflict. I mean, it could get on right here if we, if we just let our differences keep us separated. No, look, it, he, he, I think God understands that this person's personality maybe is not going to match up with that one. And, and so, but wait a minute, wait a minute, hang on just here, just a minute. If you are in the same church family, should it not stand to reason that you ought to be getting along together? And isn't it a blight when a church family's not because the lost world will say, you know, I could get that at my grandparents' house. That kind of strife. I mean, if, in fact, it, it's even more fun there. Right? No, they ought to come in here and say, you know what? Behold how they love one another. And again, please understand, I'm not saying that there's some conflict that I know about that I'm asking, okay, this person, y'all come forward here at the end of the invitation. But if just one relationship wasn't right, it's worth it to make the effort to get it right. Okay, preacher, I, I don't think you have to say any more about convincing me that I need to make it right. So how do I do that? Here's what he said to do. All I know to do is tell you just what Jesus said to do. And here's what he said to do. Go to that person one-on-one. Just go to them one-on-one. Boy, you know how many problems would be solved if we just did that right there? By the way, he said go to them. He didn't even say write a letter. He didn't say send a text. He didn't say um, send a representative. Uh, he said, go to them. Like, look them in the eye. Like, interact. He didn't even say call. I don't think calling's wrong. I don't think writing a letter necessarily is wrong. I'm just trying to say what Jesus said, and here's what he said. Go directly to them. For sure, he didn't say this. Go to them, but make sure that you've gone and told all these other people what they've done. You follow me? How many problems would be solved if we just went right to the source? And say, hey, listen, I may be totally misunderstanding this. I may be off, but I need to talk to you about this. Well, if anybody in the world ought to be open to stuff like that, it ought to be believers. 
And, and so uh, God help us if we're not open to that. I know sometimes I'll just be transparent. There's times I get defensive. You know, somebody brings something up and you're confronted about something. You're like, no, you didn't. You didn't just go there, but they did. <laughs> How we doing? Am I the only sinner in the room? <laughs> Jesus said, go one-on-one. And if, if they don't hear you, okay, so now, no, wait, let, let, me, let me put it on just a little bit of a pause here because it could be an interpersonal conflict, but he's also looking at the whole big picture of the church. And it may be that there's a member of the church that's doing wrong and we need to go to that member to get them to come back into the fold. They've sinned against you or they've, they've sinned. It is second person singular. I'm just trying to use the pronouns that Jesus is using. If he sinned against thee. So it could be a problem between the two of you, but there also a larger context would be like 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and other contexts uh, about church discipline itself and a member that's gone astray, which by the way, church membership means something. Right. We, we can't have a loose idea about, about responsibilities and, and be what Jesus wants us to be as a church. So it may be that there's a person that you need to go and try to reach and get them to come back. So there's several applications of this, but let's just keep following along with what Jesus is saying here. So you go with them one-on-one. If they don't hear you, then you go and you get two or three witnesses. In Deuteronomy, this is used in Deuteronomy chapter 19, and, and you, would, you would go, and they would be there to encourage that person to get things right. I mean, you say, wait a minute, I don't know that a lot of this is going on like it ought to be. I, I'll be honest with you, I'm convicted about this. There's some people that we need to follow up on that we need to care about. If they are a sheep of this church, we need to be caring about them. And so we go to them and then we take these others here, not teaming up on them, not, not in some kind of heavy handed kind of way. That's not the right spirit. The right spirit is one of concern and care. And by the way, I heard this week in, in somebody preaching, they, they said, when God, when God tells you no, not to do something, he's basically saying this, don't hurt yourself. We ought to care about people that are hurting themselves. And so you go with these two or three and they're verifying that, yes, this person is not repentant. The key is repentance. You want to bring them to a place of repenting, which means a change of mind, which is to say this, I was wrong. Would you forgive me? And so the two or three go and they are to do the work there. If they don't hear them, then Jesus said, tell it to the church. And then the church needs to get involved in some way. So that may be uh, this family and that family and this family, that family. All I'm saying is that there's some kind of effort church-wide to get this person to come to a place of repentance. All the while, our purpose is not to try to win the next argument, but to win the right relationship. You've gained your brother if you follow this plan. You've gained that relationship back. You, you now are on good terms again. It's a financial term. You, you would have been at a loss, but now you are at a gain. So the church is supposed to get involved. And then if they are still not repentant and you've got the church involved, then that person is to basically be treated as though he said uh, a, a, uh, a publican, not Republican, but publican. Help me out here just a minute. A publican and a heathen man. So how do we treat a heathen man or a publican? Still with love. Still with compassion. But what he's saying is here is this, you can't act like everything's okay when it's not. So what did Jesus do? How did he treat the publicans? Well, Matthew's pinning this. He was a publican and Jesus loved him. And then he said, whatever you bind here will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose here will be loose in heaven. The idea is not heaven is following our orders, but rather the other way, we are following heaven's orders on earth. It shall be bound. It shall be loose. In other words, the idea is already, it's already that way there. You're just verifying it here. You're enacting God's will here as it is there. Then he says this. We're still doing okay. I know we're covering a lot of territory. All right. He says this. He says that if two or three of you gather together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. But it's for the purpose of prayer. He says in verse, in, in verse number uh, 19, I believe it is, about, about prayer. Let me look back at my Bible here to make sure I'm telling you right. Again, I'd say that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything 
that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my father. Now, hang on, wait a minute. Do not forget what the context of this is. The context is church conflict. And here's what Jesus said ought to happen when there is some form of conflict. What ought to happen is that there ought to be a prayer meeting. Pray. I think that's why a lot of churches split is they don't do verse 19 or they give it token attention like this. Dear God, would you bless this meeting? We sure do need you. And then they get into it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about really seeking the face of God, which dear friend, listen, listen real carefully right here. What that implies, what that indicates is that a lot of church problems are a spiritual battle that's going on unseen to the human eye because who would want to divide this church? None other than Satan. And so we better pray and ask, oh God, first of all, how about we just go ahead and do what Jesus says anyways and just pray, oh God, would you please protect this church? And God, we want to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit that you've produced. And, and so would you help us have good relationships? But then when you do have a conflict with somebody, then the background of you approaching them ought to be, oh God, would you help me be of a right spirit? Would you help me be of that extra mile mentality? Would you help me to do what is what lies within me and uh, in, in realize that you, you can only drive in your lane. You can't determine how somebody else is driving in their lane. Somebody might be trying to run you off the road, but that doesn't give you license to say, oh yeah, well, I'll show you. You follow? You just got to make sure you're driving right. You got to make sure you're living right. And if they're not living right, they're not doing right, then you're not responsible for how they're conducting their car. You are responsible for how you're conducting your relationship and your side of it. And so earnestly seek God and maybe even ask some people to join you together and pray and asking God to help you in this relationship. And then things get resolved. It's not like this is a plan that won't work. It's a, it's a plan that has not been worked. Jesus said, let me drive this home a little bit further here. There's a certain ruler that had servants and he was taking a day of accounting. And in the midst of looking at the books, he found that there was a man that owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. I, I honestly, I'm not sure that I've gotten down on the bottom of just how much this is. Okay. Uh, I'm going to use a word like buku. It's a buku of money. Anybody else in here use buku? It's a buku of money. Okay, you understand what I'm talking about then, right? It's a huge sum of money. I found things like this about it. Millions of dollars, literally millions of dollars. So as he looked at the books, and it's not even indicating whether this man stole it or if he just, how it was, if he got behind. I mean, that's really getting behind on your payments. I don't, I don't know what, what happened exactly. It didn't take something tell us. But it's like millions of dollars. In fact, a, a one silver talent. Now, Jesus said he owed him 10,000 talents, but one silver talent was worth about 6,000 denarii. Gold talents was at least worth 30 times as much, millions of denarii. Okay, Josephus said the taxes of, the, of that area, when you add all those areas together of Palestine and, and Perea and, and all that area, the total taxes of that area was 8,800 talents. So this man owed more than all those regions combined. Somebody said this about it, said that it would be one talent. Hang on just a minute. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. Warren Wiersbe, I know I often quote him, but it just helps. Warren Wiersbe made it equivalent to $10 million. In the economy of that day, a man would have to work 20 years 20 years, he'd work 20 years to earn one talent. No, no, you heard me right. I think I wrote it down right. I think I read it right. He would work 20 years for one talent. He owes 10,000 talents. <laughs> I mean, you say, I think he's going to be late on his payment. <laughs> he's not going to make it. Now, ironically, when this man says, okay, we're going to have to sell your family here and, and, and all that's going on, he falls on his knees and he grabs the man and, and the Bible says he worships him, just simply meaning this, he's, he's pleading with him, please, sir, have mercy on me, have pity on me, have compassion on me. I know I owe that much, but I'll pay you back. 
Come on. That's what he said. He said with his mouth wide open, I will pay you all. Impossible. Impossible. He couldn't pay it all. The Bible hastens to say this. The owner had compassion on him. And watch this. Forgave him. All of it. I don't know. I just got goosebumps. I, I just felt instant relief. Like, okay, you owe somebody $10 million or more. And they say, look, it'd take you a long time to pay that off. We're not going to expect it of you. Hello? You're totally free. Freedom! <laughs> Come on. I mean, you're going Dave Ramsey right there. Freedom! I'm out of debt. I don't have any more. $10 million. You call in on that, I guarantee you'll get some airtime. Man, I was, what'd you do? How'd you get out of that kind of debt? Man, I didn't do anything. What do you mean? You didn't work an extra job? No, I didn't do a thing. All I did was I asked. Because there was nothing I could do to pay it back. I mean, literally, if you do the math, if it takes him 20 years to do one talent, he's not going to live long enough to pay it all back at that rate. And yet, in one instance, forgiven. You and I had a debt we could never pay. Every one of us, the wages of sin is death. If you're insistent on paying for your sin, if you're insistent on saying, God, I'll pay you back. I'll be better. I'll do better. I'll do whatever it takes to pay for my sin. I'll atone for my sin. I'll pay for my sin. Then listen, it's an eternity apart from him. Forever. But through Jesus who in one moment of time on that cross as the world turned black, dark and your sin and my sin was placed on him at one time and he was buried and he rose again for your justification. One, oh mercy, one trip to the altar bowing before him saying, dear God, I'm a sinner and there truly is nothing I could do to save myself. Would you save me and forgive me of my sin? At that moment, friend, listen, all of your sin debt is gone. You owe nothing. You owe nothing more. Woo! Woo! Man, he forgave me of all that. You know what that makes me want to do? Go grab somebody by the throat and say, hey, you owe me. I caught you on that one, didn't I? Sorry, that was not nice. No, it, doesn't. it shouldn't make you want to do that. It should make you say, glory to God, I was in sin, I was in debt, but he, through Jesus, forgave me. I'll forever praise his name, and I'm not waiting till then. I'm starting right now praising him. He's been so good to me. But then he goes on and says, but that same man went out and found somebody that owed him a hundred pence. A hundred pence would be about a hundred days work, about three months, a little bit over three months worth of work, a significant amount of money, but nowhere near 10,000 talents. He found that guy that owed him money. Hey man, you owe me money. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm going to pay. No, you're going to pay me now. I can just see him taking him and putting him up against the wall. You're going to pay me now. And, and the Bible says that he did exactly what he did. He bowed before him and said, please have mercy on me. Have compassion and I'll pay you all. He said, no, you're going to be cast into the, into the debtor's prison and, and there you'll spend out your days. Because while he was in prison, he wasn't able to work. He put him in an impossible place to be forgiven. And some of you have somebody in that same prison. And there's no way they could ever pay their way out. And you put them there. 
You say, no, preacher, they put themselves there. They did the wrong. I, I understand that. And Jesus is no wise as minimizing wrongdoing. He's very, very clear that this is the wrongdoing needs to be forgiven. But listen, when somebody's done wrong and they want to be forgiven and you don't forgive them, you put them in a place where they can't be forgiven and you're hurting yourself more than you're really hurting them. Every one of you, he says, I, I couldn't get past that last, that last verse when he says, every one of you, because there's no one here that is exempt. Now, this, this is really delicate here, I understand. Because there are people here who have been mistreated in a very serious way, abused in a very serious way, sexually abused, physically abused, verbally abused, hurt, neglected. but you're not exempt. I realize there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. And there are people, I prayed for a man today that's incarcerated. I don't remember the man's name, but he's incarcerated. He did wrong, but now he's trying to do right. I thank God that God still loves him and can forgive him of his sin debt. You know... um, because sometimes we kind of get a little bit smug and we think, well, I deserve to be forgiven. But that guy that murdered so many people, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. What, what makes us a judge of that? Well, I just think, well, Jesus thinks higher. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now, I don't, I, that, there's a point at which that becomes a, a matter of crime and a matter of justice. And, a, and, a, and it's not right that we would just open up the prison doors and let all prisoners loose. Because they pray and ask Jesus to be their Savior. No, there's still a, a price to pay. Even for forgiven sin. So, man, how do you re- reconcile all this in your mind? Well, just follow what Jesus is saying here. He's not saying that there's not consequences for sin and even forgiven sin, but he's saying this to his disciples. Look, I care too much about your church family. I care too much about you individually for you just to hold animosity towards somebody else that ought to be your, that is your brother or sister. And I forgave you so much. How could we not forgive a hundred pence when he's given, forgiven us? 10,000 talents. You follow? The forgiven should be forgiving. But we struggle with it, don't we? And thus we certainly need God's help. Well, the youth pastor's wives came to the Youth conference, this has been maybe five years ago or more. Kirk Copeland is preaching. I forget all the details of Brother Copeland's life, but he was basically neglected and abused. And his father, if I remember right, was a drunkard and all that came with that. But in the process of Brother Kirk Copeland trusting Jesus as his Savior, he had to come to a place where he also forgave his dad. And God brought him to that place and helped him to forgive. He preached a whole message on it. This lady had brought young people there to that youth conference, walked the aisle and prayed with her husband. And she knew that God was putting it on her heart to call her dad, who lived in another part of the country, to say, Dad, I forgive you. She hadn't talked to him. I forget the number of years. It's a long time. Hadn't talked to him, I'm going to say in seven years. She's at the altar saying, God, I know you want me to do this. Her cell phone rang at that moment. And seven years, say, later, her dad, I don't know how all this works, called her at the moment she's at the altar. Saying, God, I got to forgive him. Well, there's a God in heaven who's working all the way over in whatever part of the country that was, prompting him to call her, which opened the door for her to call him back when she could, and things were forgiven, and she told me later, now we've got a stronger relationship. 
we got to get to a place where we're going the extra mile rather than asking with Peter, how minimum can I get by here? Because he said, how about seven times? The rabbis of the day said three. I I mean, this is before baseball, but three strikes and you were out with the rabbis. (laughs) Peter said, I'm going to double the quota. I'm not going just three, I'm going seven. A little bit more. Jesus said, times that, Peter, by 70. 490? In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, don't count. My forgiveness to you is unlimited. Your forgiveness to others should also be unlimited. Dear God, we need you right here. See it in your word. It's in black and white. It's in red letter. Meaning that you said it. But Lord, I would imagine once we put this down into the level of everyday living and there are hurt feelings and there's years of resentment or a lack of forgiveness, God, it, it gets humanly impossible. And that's why we need the help of your Holy Spirit. I want to thank you for helping us today. I want to thank you for your word. And, and I pray for those that need, first of all, forgiveness in the form of salvation. I thank you that you paid the ultimate price. I couldn't wrap my brain around 10,000 talents, and I certainly can't wrap it around the blood of Jesus Christ being paid for our sins. Such a vastly greater amount paid for us that be forgiven. And that you just... You let us go free, not by turning a blind eye, but by justification through faith, by grace. So I pray for those here today that need salvation, that you would bring them to the cross and save them. And then I pray for those that are saved and struggling to forgive someone. I pray that you'd help them to forgive. And I pray for those that need to be forgiven. They need to ask for forgiveness and and, forgiveness. And to be able to move on and grow in their Christian life, I pray you'd help them too. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together here today. I pray that God would use this invitation to help you respond. If you're today, you don't know Jesus as Savior. Listen, there's a debt you can't pay on your own. But I'm glad to tell you he paid the price. If you'd like to come and receive that gift, the Bible refers to salvation as the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you'd come this morning, there'd be men or ladies here that would take a Bible and show you from God's Word how you can be totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. If that's your need today, would you come? And if God spoke to you today, and I want you to respond in this invitation time. Page 274 is what we're singing. Lord, I'm coming home. As Brother Ted leads us, would you, would you come as we sing?